Commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. On this episode of the Contracting Experience Podcast, we sit down with cost priced analyst Shannon Prince to discuss commercial benchmarking. Shannon was on a government benchmarking team that visited five commercial companies from July 2018 to February 2019 to explore what purchasing and pricing strategies commercial businesses use to acquire commercial items and services. Shannon shares what lessons were learned from engaging with the companies and how those lessons can be transferred into how the government operates. All right, welcome Shannon Prince to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course. So between July 2018 and February 2019, you and a government benchmarking team visited five commercial companies. Can you tell the listeners who made up the government benchmarking team and the purpose for visiting these companies? Absolutely. If the listeners can bear with me for a few minutes, I do want to get into a little bit of acquisition background just to kind of explain how we evolved to where we got to the study. Yes, um, please. Great. So the, we're going to talk about some things that are kind of oldies but goodies. I mean, they probably predate, they definitely predate you and I. Um, the first one is, of course, the Federal Acquisition Streamlining Act of 1994, FASA. Um, that was where we first established the government preference for acquisition of commercial items. This act is where the government, we shifted from acquiring items developed exclusively for the government, and we did so to take advantage of any emerging technologies and, of course, just a larger pool of resources. So we have FASA, and then we get to 1996, and we get to Clinger Cohen Act, and we also know that as the Federal Acquisition Reform Act, ERA. Commercial item purchasing was expanded there. We had the requirements um, before that a commercial item must be sold in substantial quantities to the general public. We removed that, was removed so that it could be an exception now under the Truth and Negotiations Act. So we get through FASA, we get through FARA. The point of us shifting to commercial purchasing was to gain access to commercial markets with increased competition. So of course we have increased competition. Now we've got better pricing. We also want to assess new sources and innovations. So we go through over the years, we start encountering challenges. We're trying to determine a price reasonable in a commercial market. And we ran encountered difficulties when you're especially working in a sole source commercial environment. If there's no competitive markets to establish a reasonable price, then market research can't be an answer only for a CO and how to determine reasonable. We get into further changes to statute over the years. Um, it led to the creation of a hierarchy that we now have in DFARS 212-209. It's making it harder for COs to obtain relevant data from contractors to establish price reasonableness. So going through all of that, this is why we get to the purpose of the project. We wanted to engage with commercial companies that we don't primarily work with to explore what purchasing and pricing strategies they use to acquire commercial items and services. We wanted to identify best practices and to draw parallels that could then benefit the US government. Ultimately, we wanted to incorporate any findings and training 
for DOD personnel and to enhance pricing capabilities for commercial items. So we have the reason why we started the project. Um, it was championed by Defense Pricing and Contracting, um, DPC. There was a core team, which I was part of. Um, I helped represent the pricing division at Headquarters Air Force Material Command. Uh, we also had representatives from Headquarters Defense Acquisition University, DAU, and we had members from the Commercial Item Group at uh, Defense Contract Management Agency, DCMA. We also had some supplemental support from the Army Contracting Command and the Air Force Sustainment Center Pricing Shop, um, AFSC PZDF. Great. And I want to thank you for going through all that and really highlighting um, the, a pain point that I know... Um, procurement contracting officers deal with as far as determining um, the price reasonableness of some of these commercial items that um, get proposed in, in proposals as a PCO that's gone through that. And I know there's many out there that are going through it and have gone through it. That's, that is a big pain point. So thanks for touching on that. What industries are the companies from that you worked with and what types of areas were you benchmarking? Uh, we met with several different industries. They operated within aviation, automotive, and the space industries. And as I mentioned just a few minutes ago, we targeted commercial companies who acquire commercial items, but they're not primarily engaged in the sale of items or services to the government. So we wanted to talk to the true commercial marketplace, um, those that we didn't have the existing relationships with for the most part. Okay. And can you give some examples of the types of questions that you ask the companies in order to benchmark their processes? Sure. The way we did this is we um, we kind of bucketized these questions into five categories. We sent a core list out to the companies ahead of our arrival so that they had a few days to kind of look through what the kinds of things we wanted to ask so they were prepared to ask, uh, to answer them. Um, depending on how long the interview went and the direction the discussion was going, we had additional questions that we then could bring into the mix as, as the interview was ongoing. Um, the five categories we covered were um, requirements and competition, contract formation, contract valuation, um, negotiations, and then we had a catch-all group that we called other. Um, examples, we asked, um, some of the things we asked were what types of contracts do you use and under what circumstances do you use that contract type? How do you foster competition? If you're in a sole source situation, what data do you obtain and how do you evaluate it? We asked about parts obsolescence, establishing partnerships if they did, and if so, how long were they? If they did any sort of training for their supplier groups. Um, and then we did ask if things like, how do you negotiate in a sole source or single source environment? So those were some of the questions we, we would present to teams, um, to groups we went out to, to interview. What were some of the lessons learned and can you give some examples of how those things showed up in the company's operating procedures? Sure, there were five lessons learned um, that came out of that came out of the, the study. I think the biggest surprise and the most interesting lessons learned from the meetings was that commercial companies routinely focus on costs when analyzing and negotiating supplier contracts. We also learned that some of the companies we met with regularly request cost data as part of their processes um, when they request proposals. And those details include cost and profitability. Now, I do want to make it clear that they don't always receive the data. Mm -hmm. And it's different than what we 
that we probably traditionally view in our processes for requesting certified cost or pricing data. Like for the most part, it is not certified data. That is, you know, Tina is a thing for the governments. Um, when commercial companies are enacting or working with other commercial companies, there is no such thing as certified data. And it may not be in the at the level of detail, the cost elemental level like we would expect it to be when we see cost data. But they were asking for it and in, in situations receiving it. Also, when you want to talk about profitability, they don't use any sort of structured approach like uh, weighted guidelines. But for some of the companies we did interview, they do negotiate prices that include profit that's within industry norms. And they have insight into what constitutes a reasonable profit rate. When we asked about the types of ways that they, they find these reasonable profit rates, um, we know that they do, uh, they use internet resources, subscription services, those types of things to help determine what they feel is a reasonable profit rate. In terms of the that cost analysis we were talking about, they actually identify differences between what they expect the cost to be and what the data provided by the supplier showed. And we know that they worked with suppliers to understand the differences, similar to how we do fact-finding. In some cases, they even help suppliers find ways to reduce costs so that it would be a better price overall for the buyer and the seller. Um, we learned that one of the primary ways that they analyzed the supplier data that they did receive um, was to do a piece of internal should cost estimate. From my experience with should costs, we usually view that as more of a budgetary finance type um, tool. But going through this process in the study, you know, it is a very valuable tool, especially when it's difficult to obtain relevant information. If we would to employ should cost us, you know, as part of our analysis techniques within the government, it definitely would encourage sharing across acquisition functionals between, you know, the, the finance and the contracting side. It also helps build a repository of data so that in future efforts, we have an estimate pool to, to pull from. So that was the biggest, I think, lessons learned that came out of it um, was the fact that they do routinely focus on cost. Uh, the importance of competition was another lessons learned. You know, of course, we know competition keeps costs down. It improves supplier performance. It promotes accountability. It allows for someone to discover more innovative or efficient processes that maybe than what our own research shows. Competition was a fundamental key to success expressed by all the companies who participated in the study. They rarely found themselves in a sole source situation. The third one was contract type. The companies we benchmarked heavily relied on the use of firm fixed price contracts. It makes sense. I mean, we when you got a fixed price contract, you're shifting all risk and responsibility of cost from the customer to the supplier. For all five companies, none of them used cost-based contracts on a regular basis. So that was a, another important lessons learned we came out of it. The fourth one was vertical integration. Uh, vertical integration is an arrangement in which the supply chain for a company is actually owned and controlled by that company. Examples we ran into during the study were um, in-house design, uh, production, testing. If you have a company employs vertical integration, they can lower transaction costs, they can improve quality, they can reduce disruptions. And that's a big one because when you think about outside forces, uh, maybe even just being weather or a scarcity of material. I mean, COVID would be a perfect example of an outside force that would be causing disruption in your processes. 
um, if you have control over your and you're doing the work in house, um, you could definitely reduce um, delays and shipments and things like that as part of it. It could also provide flexibility to a company in terms of things like sole source or parts obsolescence. Gives them flexibility to make changes quicker and more efficient and possibly cheaper than if we had to um, to deal with the supply chain outside of the company. Now there are though downsides to vertical integration. It's very cross prohibitive to start, and if the subsidiaries that you're controlling or, or owning are inefficient or they're poorly managed, it can definitely affect you know our big three cost, schedule, and performance. So it was an interesting part of the lessons learned. For sure, not necessarily sure it would be a a strong lessons learned for the government, but definitely it was important to realize what you know how they how they handle their supply chains. The last one was fostering a partnerships with suppliers. Developing partnerships can definitely enhance communication. It definitely improves expectation management. It can lead to a positive working environment. Freeze. LTAs were something we discussed a lot with them. They definitely use LTAs to foster partnerships. We found in our discussions that the length of time on an LTA, it's very heavily dependent on the industry. In general, we found that the companies utilized LTAs anywhere with lengths of one to three years typically. So those were the, the five big lessons learned that came out of these studies that we found that was the most um, representative across all the industries and the five companies we met with. How does what you learn transfer into how the government operates? The shit cost was definitely something that, you know, we do it internally already for mostly from my perspective, budgetary purposes from where, you know, I sit it in my job. I think that it's definitely something we should consider that if we have the internal experience and knowledge in order to kind of generate what we think it's going to cost ahead of time, that we could use that information during the analysis part, especially when we get into situations where we don't necessarily have a lot of outside data to help us um, determine what would be a fair and reasonable price. With that cost analysis lessons learned in general, I think it was an interesting lesson since the practice of Obtaining data that the way they do so varies significantly from our own current federal regulations regarding what COs can request from offers to determine price reasonableness. Um, for instance, the FY16 NDAA established a hierarchy within EFARS 212-209. Um, that subsection is it's entitled Determination of Price Reasonableness. The hierarchy starts at just simply, you know, it's market research we're obtaining. But depending on uh, the, the steps within the hierarchy. The obtaining uncertified cost data is actually a last resort um, under obtaining what they refer to as other relevant information. This can prove problematic, um, especially when we're dealing with other type commercial situations where the CEO does not have access to comparable sales data. And if the supplier is sole source, the government is really then possibly hard pressed to obtain market data. When you're moving through that hierarchy of obtaining um, similar to purchase prices paid and, and such, the CEOs have met resistance in obtaining the requested uncertified cost or pricing data. And some companies have in some situations just refused to provide it. Now, at the time we were doing the study and then and generating report and the lessons learned, uh, DPC came out with a memorandum dated 22 March 19, and it has since now been codified 
um, which establishes quarterly reporting requirement for any HCAs to identify situations where offers have denied a CO's uncertified data request. That helps us in, in, in the way that with these reports going up now through the chain up to DPC, it's gonna aid in deciding if it's necessary to pursue statutory or regulatory changes to assist CEOs in gaining that data. I think what I found most interesting about, about that one is that you know we have these limits on ourselves about the abilities to obtain uncertified cost data, yet it's, it's evident that the contractors themselves don't put those limits on themselves. Regarding competition, you know, FAR 13 states that a CO must promote competition to the maximum and practical. When you get into FAR 6302, there are seven circumstances that permit the use of other than full and open competition. Now, these exceptions, while necessary and definitely valuable to the mission, it can result in us getting situated into sole source situation, and those inhibit our ability to grow supplier pools and can result in higher costs, lower performance, and limit our ability to pivot when our requirements change or our technology evolves. It's important for the government to take into account any future follow-on efforts when we're developing our initial acquisition strategy, and we need to strive to foster competition as much as possible. We should also be encouraging prime contractors to compete subcontractors to the fullest extent possible. In terms of the, the fixed price lessons learned, I think we're definitely in step with what's going on in the commercial markets. The 2017 NDAA established a preference for fixed price contracts and for certain high value contracts it's becoming not only required to consider fixed price, but it's even necessary to utilize them unless um, the HCA approves otherwise. Finally, regarding the partnerships, um, the length that the LTAs discuss during the sessions is in some cases shorter than what the LTAs utilized in government acquisitions. Something I think we need to, to consider is that when we engage in long-term LTAs, um, say for 10 years, let's give that as an example, we have contractors that sometimes feel the need to, to price unknowns because of the length of time that they're going to be under contract. If we were to take that lessons learned and maybe utilize shorter length long-term agreements, um, we may have the ability to have better pricing overall since these unknowns are not going to be such a such a big concern. Now, I understand that goes with that is the flip side of the administrative burdens and costs associated with having to do more shorter contracts, but that's something I think we should also consider when we're developing our LTA strategy. What were the overall outcomes of the benchmarking project? After we had the chance to meet with the, the companies that had been identified for the sessions, um, we consolidated all the interviews into a lessons learned and um, AFMC PKF teamed up with DAU and we developed content and took those lessons learned um, and we converted them into a commercial benchmarking chapter within DAU's online course, CLC 139. The class is entitled Acquisition of Commercial Items. If um, you've not had the opportunity to take the class, I definitely recommend it. We also, within AFMC PKF, presented a summary of the study um, during the DPC pricing workshop. It was hosted in Dayton in the summer of 2019. As part of the presentation, the pricing chiefs and all the pricing reps that were there across the DOD had the opportunity to discuss the lessons learned and it helped us disseminate the findings 
um, out to the DOD pricing community and to enhance the DOD's overall commercial item knowledge in general. And what were some of your personal takeaways from visiting these commercial companies? You know, Amber, I think the, the most important one for me was the discussions regarding cost data. You know, I've been a pricer now for over 15 years. And through my experiences with commercial pricing, it's always seemed a bit taboo to use the concepts of cost analysis when pricing commercial items. I'm not talking about the, the certification, you know, the TNF piece of certified of cost data. I'm talking about just the concept of cost analysis step looking at something at a lower level of granularity, you know, looking at something at a lower level than just the overall price for something. Um, to see that commercial companies routinely and matter-of-factly apply these principles in their own contracts um, was really, it really was an eye-opener for me. I think that's the biggest takeaway I can, I took from this study was that we seem to be limiting ourselves more than they do. And I think that puts us at a disadvantage. Leverage was another takeaway for me. I mean, it from talking across the five of them, very clear that leverage really decides how the deal will result. And I think that as a as the U.S. government, it's important we leverage our own buying power. I mean, we do deal with a lot of volume and high complexity, high dollar things. And I think we should be using that to our advantage when we are in a um, purchasing situation. The other thing that I kind of noticed that I found really um, I appreciated was the pride uh, a lot of these workers have in their work and who they work for. It was evident when we walked into these buildings that they were there and, and how open they were to share their processes with us. Um, getting to meet them and to learn about their products and their industries was truly a pleasure. Um, the project as a whole was a very interesting piece to be attached to for the, the timeline we were. I think it was ultimately about a year and a half that the study went through and then the reports and, and everything. And I definitely learned a lot myself from it. And um, hopefully everyone out there listening will, will take some of the lessons learned away from this as well. Um, maybe take course CLC 139 through DAU and, and, and apply some of what we've learned into their own commercial buying. Definitely. Well, um, Shannon, I, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today and really just sharing, um, you know, your your perspective of this, because I think it's it's a good example of how getting to see things from a different um, viewpoint or from, a the, you know, some of the other parties viewpoints can help us look at our own processes and how we're doing things to, to see, like, should we really be doing them that way? Um, does it make sense? So I I appreciate that and, and thanks for being on today. Thank you. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.